Welcome to Go Talks, a new series from Equifax, where we dive into the trends and insights of today that direct the decisions of tomorrow. Hello, I'm Stuart McKinlay, General Manager of Banking and Finance at Equifax, and today it's my great pleasure to be with Belinda Allen, Senior Economist at ComBank. Welcome, Belinda. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me here. Absolute pleasure. No, great to see you. Belinda, hot on the heels of the federal government's uh, budget 2021. There's quite a bit of commentary around that it's, it's a budget where everyone's a winner. I'd really like to get your thoughts on whether you see it, as an economist, you see it that way, or whether there are particular areas of the Australian economy that may benefit more so than others. It's certainly a hot topic at the moment. I think what really surprised us in the budget, and we sort of look at it from a macroeconomic point of view, was probably the sheer size of the spending plans over the next few years. So I was at work 7.30 on the Tuesday night the budget was released. And I have to be honest, I had to look at that budget deficit number for 2021-22, I think three times before I really took it in. So it was certainly a lot larger than what we had expected. So just to put the numbers out there so everyone knows what numbers I'm talking about. So the budget for 2021, the budget deficit came in at $161 billion, certainly lower than what the initial expectations were during the worst of the COVID-19 period. For 21-22, the budget deficit came in at $107 billion. So there's certainly been some improvement but the budget deficit could have been a lot lower if they had not spent money this year and also over the next three years as well. So if you think about the last 12 months, the Australian economy certainly performed better than what everyone expected. So at the worst of the, the COVID-19 recession, they so say 12 months ago is really when the Australian economy was at its worst, the expectation was the Australian economy could contract around 5% in 2020, came in at around 2.4%. So the Australian government has had to pay out a lot less job seeker, a lot less job keeper, and there's also been revenue improvements as well. We just have to look at the price of iron ore. Mm. So the price of iron ore at the moment, for those of you who don't watch the iron ore market as, as closely <laughs> as some people, the iron ore price is well above $230 a metric tonne. The budget expected it to fall to $55 a metric wow. tonne. So there's so much more revenue coming in. But the government decided instead of saving it and reducing the deficit to funnel it into new spending initiatives. So... They've really thought that they want to turn this economic recovery that's underway into a full-blown economic expansion. There's been this real change in mindset as to what fiscal policy is going to do, which is maybe in hindsight a philosophy they could have embarked on a little bit earlier rather than relying on monetary policy. So they've changed their mindset about debt and deficit. Mm -hmm. They've decided now's the time to broaden the economic expansion and to certainly funnel money into some areas that probably needed it for longer. So in those areas I'm thinking about are really mental health, aged care, child care, certainly more on infrastructure. But I think certainly the winner will be the overall economy the winners will be the labour market. So mm. there's certainly the government's really focused on driving that unemployment rate down. 
So currently in, as of March, the unemployment rate's 5.6%. They want that unemployment rate below five, somewhere between four and a half and 5%. So they're really willing to keep the deficits larger for longer to get more people employed. And, and I think really everyone can benefit from that as well. But there are certainly some areas that will probably win more than others, but overall an improving economy I think certainly will bring most people along with it. Flowing on from the economy, one of the major factors in Australia is the housing market. Everyone loves talking about housing. We're a nation that (laughs) loves housing, loves ownership of housing and everything that goes with that. Very recently, we've seen this enormous growth in the housing Mm. market. And by that, I mean in terms of house prices, uh, auction clearance rates, number of inquiries or number of borrowings that are taken out, whether that's um, mainly owner-occupied. And it's created quite a bit of pressure and affordability. I'm really interested to get your thoughts around how sustainable it might be from an Australian economic perspective and then also your thoughts on the impact it might have on a banking industry in Australia and how the banking industry deals with that. You know, I've read in the press someone like ComBank's put on an extra X hundred people to to make sure customers are being dealt with in a timely manner. Oh, there is just so many different points we can talk about from uh, on the housing market. Let's just, I guess, take a step back and look at what house prices have been doing and some of the, the factors behind that. So during COVID-19, the worst of the COVID-19 recession, house prices fell. So obviously that's no surprise given what was happening at the labour market, the sheer uncertainty out there. We saw house prices during the worst of the COVID-19 period, around a six-month period, fall close to 3%. That was after rising um, prior to that. But at the time, though, during COVID-19, there were some pretty bearish forecasts out there for house Mm -hmm. prices, us included. You know, there was so much uncertainty out there that forecasting was hard. So one of the most common rules was, all right, let's redo our forecast and and have a look what's going to happen. So we did expect house prices to fall, you know, around 10%. They didn't. Yes. They didn't. The main reason for that is we got control of COVID-19 pretty well in Australia. We did really well at that. We had very generous income support coming through to Australian households. So JobSeeker, JobKeeper was remarkably successful at getting income to Australian households. And then the third and most important reason is interest rates. So over the short term, interest rates are the primary driver of dwelling prices. So the Reserve Bank of Australia last year cut interest rates back to first 0.25% and then just 0.1%. And that's the lowest ever. It is. And so with that, mortgage rates fell. And as bank funding costs continue to, to fall during 2020, as global interest rates fell, the Reserve Bank of Australia introduced the term funding facility, the TFF, so banks could access low cost of borrowing and pass that on to lower mortgage rates as well. So we had very low fixed rate mortgages here and low variable mortgage rates as well. So that encouraged people to come out and borrow. Right. 
In their droves. In their droves. So looking at some of the numbers there, we have had new lending since May 2020, which obviously was the low in 2020. Since then, lending's up close to 90%. Belinda, are you seeing that across homeowners, across investors, first home buyers? So initially, we saw owner occupiers and first home buyers really, I guess, go back into the housing market. The labour market recovered quite quickly. Low interest rates really encouraged owner-occupiers and first-home buyers to come back in. So owner-occupier lending is now back up to a record high level. Huge. Mm. First-home buyers are back in at very high numbers as well. And even the first-home buyer share of lending is up the most in in over a decade as well. What we're now seeing though is investors come back in. Right. So they've kind of, we're the laggard, but they're coming back in, in their droves now as well. So we've now at that stage where we've seen the three different types of buyers in, and that's certainly pushing house prices up even more. So from here, the interest rates are low and we expect them to remain low. That's- very comprehensive. Um, just back in terms of the housing mm. housing market in particular and the large volume, how do you think that's impacting on, on our banks? Yes. So I guess with the housing market, we have to look at not only lending and the sheer volume, but I guess what not only do the banks care about, but the regulators, the lending standards yes. of those loans. Correct. Yep. So we often get asked about, okay, so what do the regulators, and by that I mean APRA and the RBA, think about the sheer rise in house prices? They're not so much concerned about the rise in house prices. To be honest, they probably think it's good because you get the wealth effect, it helps consumption. Yes. What they do care about is if we're seeing a deteriorating in lending standards. So for that, we watch some metrics quite closely. So we look at are the loans coming through on an interest-only basis? We really haven't seen a pick up there. Are loan-to-value ratios starting? Are there more LVRs at a higher level compared mm-hmm. to before? Now, we have seen a slight tick up in high LVRs, but that's really first home buyers. Right. So we're not seeing a deterioration there. And then we look at credit growth. Is credit growth in the economy expanding? Now, we've started to see credit growth for owner-occupiers lift, but it's very marginal because what Australian households are doing is taking advantage of low interest rates to pay off their debt. So in effect, most of us are paying off our debt faster than the new entrants coming into the housing market. So at the moment, all those metrics don't suggest there's a deteriorating in lending standards. So that's good for the banks, regulators are happy, but I think it's still something that will be watched very closely and just something we need to keep an eye on. Belinda, one of the interesting observations that we're seeing in our data at the moment is a small uptick in arrears coming through in the in the numbers. And there have been some changes in terms of government support. Mm. And I just wonder if you're able to comment on that. So at the start of 2021, we thought the end of JobKeeper, which finished at the end of March, would be one of the challenges for the Australian economy. So at the end of March, JobKeeper was being provided to around 900,000 people. 
So it's yep. a huge amount. It started at three point six million, yes. mind you, yep. at the start of the pandemic. So a lot of people had come off JobKeeper, but there was still a, a lot of people on it when it finished. So where it's too early to see the official data on how unemployment went over April and May, but two things that make us feel a little bit more optimistic on it is the forward indicators of labour demand, things like job vacancies, Mm -hmm. job ads, some of the business surveys are really strong. So that's one point. The second point is at ComBank, we can track the number of accounts getting paid JobSeeker. We haven't seen a pickup come through there yet either. But it is certainly, I guess, a near-term challenge for the Australian economy and I guess all eyes are watching what happens in terms of the end of JobKeeper, what happens in terms of labour market and for the housing market as well, just given how much heat has been in there and how much new borrowing has occurred. We're seeing with COVID and the change in how we're all living, we're seeing consumer behaviour change a lot. And there's a lot more online shopping and purchasing and commerce going on at the moment. As an economist, how are you tracking that through your view of the Australian economy? And how do you use data to help enable tracking that? What we worked out at the start of COVID-19 last year is relying on just official data releases was going to give us a delayed view of what was happening in the Australian economy. So like everyone else, we had to pivot. So not only did we start to use our own internal data more, but we started to look at some non-official pieces of data that were released quite quickly. I'm thinking the mobility data, so looking at people moving around the city, looking at restaurant bookings, all those sorts of things. So we really had to broaden the data we were using and Mm -hmm. I think it just really reflects the power of different data sources these days. So one of the things we did at ComBank was look more at our internal data, so looking at the card spend data that's happening on CBA credit and debit cards, looking at the income data coming into CBA bank accounts if they were from JobSeeker, if they were from wages and salaries. So all that combined has really led us to understand how different behaviour is occurring in the Australian economy and certainly we're seeing that in terms of our card spend data. So the switch to online is real. It looks like it's here to stay. So just some stats on that. So spending online is up around 30% compared to 2019 uh, but spending in-store is only up 15%. And 2019 would have been up on the year before as of well. Of course. So the, the switch is there yes. and the switch from cash to card is there as well. So there's kind of two different behavioural changes going on, people spending more online and spending more on card than cash. So That's right. The uh, tap and go, well, tap and yeah. goes helped that, no? Oh, oh def- right. definitely. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that's been encouraged as well is to have that automation come through. Correct. So we are seeing that in our data and you would think that once people continue to make that change that it will continue as well. So it is really just showing you that different sources of data can really give us some valuable insights into what's going on. Well, we would wholeheartedly agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> we obviously 
have such a large comprehensive data store and the ability to use that data and draw the insights out of that data is invaluable. Belinda, one of the other interesting changes that we're seeing mm. in the data is we've seen a quite a large drop off since COVID in credit card applications coming through and credit card spend mainly on the applications for mm. new cards. We've also seen personal loans drop off, starting to recover a bit now. We have seen auto loans increase as the second-hand car market has been strong. Yes. Um, and, and we have seen the rise and rise of the buy now, pay later sector throughout this, whilst the other payment methodologies have, have uh, contracted. Really interested to have a, uh, an economist view of mm. this. So we're seeing similar things in our data. So we have seen personal loans start to tick higher, particularly for auto loans, renovation loans, not so much holiday loans yet, uh, just given no one's going overseas to, to travel. It's really interesting because there's been some research done by the Reserve Bank of Australia about what consumers are more likely to spend on when wealth's rising Mm. and cars is the number one thing. So not only I think has COVID-19 meant people use their house differently, but car use has changed as well. So we've seen more secondhand cars being purchased. I think that's driving the lift in personal loans as well. So that's also something that we're seeing in our data. Very interesting. I, I can see the car market, the yacht market, everything <laughs> everything domestically that yes, people can uh, have the, an outage. Yeah, one <laughs> of the other pieces of data uh, that we produce on a monthly basis is our household spending intention series. So we use what's going on in our CBA data, both the credit card data, but also things like home loan applications. And we team it with Google Trends data. So we've seen certainly the car vehicle one lift, but also really interestingly in terms of entertainment and also other spending, camper vans. Yes. So we talked about that earlier, the domestic holidays. It's also those sorts of goods. We've seen very strong demand and spending on things like camper vans, uh, Outdoor, outdoor tents, tents equipment, yes. all really strong as well. Belinda, I'd just like to touch on one final point and really looking to the future. So looking to 2023, Australia has, has performed particularly well through COVID. As an island, we've probably benefited mm. from our boundaries being an island. We've had, you know, low numbers of COVID cases. But I just wanted to get your thoughts going forward on where you might see Australia from an economic perspective in 2023. We find trying to forecast more than one or two years out gets harder, (laughs) but I'll I'll try. Things are changing very quickly. (laughs) They are. And particularly, you know, for Australia, we've been such heavy relies on population growth to get economic growth. So there are three ways we can get economic growth in a country. We can get it through population growth, we can get it through productivity growth, and we can get it by effectively getting more people to work. So participation in the labour market. So 
most of our growth in recent years has come from population growth. So that's effectively disappeared. And if you look at budget forecasts, it's only going to return very slowly. So I think in the budget numbers, population growth is only at 0.8% by 2023. It's half of what it was. And the borders, the international borders are talking about being closed at least until June, July 22. Yes. And then it'll only kind of ramp up slowly. So Australia is big users of skilled migration. Yes. So as I'm sure you probably see in your business and what we hear from our clients' feedback is it's very hard at the moment to get people in the right job in particular skills. So there is some concern that the slow reopening of Australia's borders may hold back Australia's population. Mm -hmm. So I think that's certainly a concern in 2023. There's been more discussion recently about supply chains, about securing particular types of imports. So I think what COVID-19 and recent trade tensions with China has also shown is not only are there some concerns about particular exports into China, but also imports. Yes from particular sectors as well. And I think COVID-19 showed us as well. So it's all about diversifying both our export destinations but also our import destinations, bringing some of that vulnerable manufacturing capabilities back to Australia as well. I think there's also some concern also about our debt levels, Mm -hmm. our government debt levels. So given the budget's... Deficits are only reducing very slowly. Australia's net debt lifts, so there's some question mark about whether or not Australia will lose its AAA credit rating. So what happens to borrowing costs as a result of all of that? So while I guess I'm sounding a bit pessimistic here, I'm I'm just drawing out some of the risks, but we're in a great position now for the Australian economy. We're expanding. We'll see the labour market continue to heal, but there are certainly some challenges to keeping that growth going beyond the next year or two. Right. So we really need, people always talk about productivity enhancing investment, about structural reform. It will be about what we do after that economic expansion secured, I think will really help drive that economic performance, not only in 2023, but beyond that as well. And just one final question on that. In looking at Australia Mm. versus many other countries, do you think our economic performance, given the foundation that we've got is quite strong at the moment, do you think our economic performance will be better than many other countries or on a par? Does it, you know, say the US is obviously a lot of fiscal stimulus over there. Yes. So one thing that helped, and you mentioned this as well, Australia's economic recovery from COVID is border closures, So that really helped us control COVID-19. But also we had the monetary policy firepower there. We had the fiscal policy firepower there because our budget deficit and debt levels were low compared to other countries. And we had all those arms of policy working together. That's happened in some countries like the US, China as well. So I think... Going forward, if we continue to get those policy arms working together, that will help. And I think most importantly, you don't want the stimulus withdrawn too quickly. 
that happened post a GFC. Mm-hmm. You and I yes. are both old enough to remember the post GFC recovery. And stimulus was withdrawn too quickly. So I think that's another lesson as well that we need to take. Well, thanks, Belinda. It's been fantastic having you in our Go Talk series today. Your insights into the Australian economy, the budget, the housing market, all sorts of things, consumer behaviour and how you're using data have been wonderful to hear. We really appreciate your time and uh, wish you all the best. Thank you. It's been great to have a chat today. Thank you very much. Subscribe to our channel to ensure you don't miss out on the next episode of Go Talks, when we'll be back with more trends, insights and predictions from Equifax. Remember to follow Equifax Australia on LinkedIn and check out equifax.com.au and head to the Knowledge Hub for more insights. Till next time, goodbye.